Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. I'm Alan Potcotter, and you're listening to Call Talk for May 9th, 2018. Today's topic is the knowledge loop. Improve your product and customer experience by leveraging frontline agents. You are list- if you are listening live, we invite you to be part of the show and ask questions. Here's how you do it. Email me at calltalk at benchmarkportal.com. I want to remind everyone that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to at benchmarkportal.com at any time of the day. And now I would like to introduce the host of the show, Bruce Belfiore. Thank you, Alan, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Well, surveys are important, as we all know, and accurately done surveys are really key. And then using the surveys for analysis and action is where really the magic happens. So we've invited back one of our industry's top magicians to speak on this, Dr. Fred Van Benekom. How you doing, Fred? Hey, I'm fine, Bruce. Okay, good, good. Well, just a bit of background, uh, Fred, who's making his third appearance on the show by popular demand. Uh, Fred helps organizations collect and apply customer and employee feedback on a statistically valid way. And the, he's the author of Customer Surveying, a guidebook for service managers. So he literally is the guy who's written the book on this stuff. He teaches operations management at Northeastern University's Executive MBA program. And before earning his doctorate, he served as an information systems consultant for Digital Equipment's field service organization. Through his company, Great Brook, Dr. Van Benekom conducts workshops and advises clients on their survey practices. So we're delighted to have you back, Fred, and we've got some questions for you. You all set? I'm ready. Okay, very good. Uh, Well, you know, we know you as, as Fred the survey guy. And the topic today isn't just about surveys. So what's this about? Tell us what your premise is. Yeah, this isn't surveys, but it's still about customer feedback and how we can take learnings from the customer and and apply it to improve organizational practices. And in this case, talking about how we can leverage things we learn from the customer to generate sustainable uh, competitive advantage for a uh, company. Uh, After sales customer service, uh, learns a lot about customers, and uh, you know they know how to use the product. In essence, a customer service organizations are a scout in the customer domain. You know they hear a lot of things, they see a lot of things, and yet most companies don't really leverage that knowledge gained by service agents and bring it internally to try to improve the product that the customer is using. So the topic here is is around that. How can we leverage knowledge from service agents to design better products because after all the products our customer use uh, is the key driver of customer experiences so the design is really critical and clearly call centers customer service operations they can all play a real key role in this information collection uh, role Right. So, so you're sort of saying the organization is like a big brain, and uh, brains have, uh, you know, have different parts to them. And if those parts are working together well, then we're able to uh, not only perceive, but also to process and also to uh, gain inferences and also to then come out with a, you know, a, a decision 
uh, that's better than if we don't have all those things working together, right? Yeah, and I'm going to go. You, I'm going to take your metaphor and go one step beyond it. You're talking about the organization like a brain. Well, we mm-hmm. also our bodies have five different senses: sight, mm-hmm. uh, hearing, taste, touch, and what am I missing? Smell. There we go. Uh, and the we have different things. You know, we obviously have organs that sense things that are going on around us. And organizations, businesses have the same thing. They have different organ parts of the company or the organization that senses what's happening outside. Uh, the, the formal term, and this is going to sound horribly academic, I don't mean to put people to sleep, but they're called boundary-spanning organizations because they span huh. the boundary. And customer service is the largest part of a, of a company, an organization, that looks outside the company. And so they learn a lot of stuff because they kind of mill around in the customer world. And, you know, they learn a lot of stuff, but it's very seldom leveraged fully as much as it could towards the design, improving the design of the product. Yeah. No, I've seen that myself. Uh, we do the um, agent focus groups. And sometimes I'll ask, you know, what, what are the issues that you have? What are the problems that you have? And they'll spill everything out and I'll say, okay, and have you talked to your colleagues about it? Have you talked to your supervisors and your, uh, you know, higher ups about it? And sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes the answer is no. And even when the answer is yes, it's usually they only talk to their supervisors, but then it doesn't get any further. So right. yeah, actually the, uh, putting all those five senses together really, uh, gets an organization running on all cylinders, which is what we really want. Uh, what, what got you interested in this topic to begin with, Fred? Well, you know, in my bio that you read a few moments ago, you talked about my working at Digital Equipment Corporation, which unfortunately some some of our listeners have never heard of because the company hasn't been around for 20 years. <laughs> but it was in its day for several decades the second largest computer manufacturer in the world behind IBM. Uh, and I worked, it's in the greater Boston area where I reside, and I worked in the field service organization, uh, and I interacted heavily with the frontline service managers. Uh, these were the guys who uh, managed the techs who went out to the customer sites and fixed broken computers. And I was responsible around the data collection uh, to help manage the operations. But one thing I always noticed was that knowledge gained by the techs and the frontline managers about what was happening in the customer site basically died right there. It didn't really get leveraged by the rest of the company. The product part of the company was interested in learning about product failures, so they focused on maintenance data that could be uh, that was captured by uh, field service, tech support, but nothing beyond that. And that always struck me as kind of odd. It's like, geez, you've got this really valuable asset here that isn't leveraged. I mean, not just not it wasn't leveraged to the full, and in some respects, it wasn't leveraged at all. Uh, so that got me interested. And when I went, made the uh, the dubious decision to go back for my doctorate, uh, that's what I worked on in my dissertation was looking and asking the question: uh, if customer service, customer support organizations are more tightly integrated into product management, what does that do to product quality? And I also looked at what types of roles uh, customer support could play within a company in the information role. And then, again, the key thing was, does it matter? Do we see it? Now, you know, this one thing, you talk to customer service managers, 
and say this, they'll look and say, yeah, tell me something I don't know. Because they all know this kind of stuff. But talk to the product engineering managers, the people who design and own the product, and they look and they'll say, why would I want to talk to these guys? They only talk to customers who complain. What could they possibly know that would matter to me? And so this is real, uh, you know, we're we're going to get into this more later, I'm sure, but there's a real cultural bias about the communication link between the two groups. It's astounding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, one of the things that uh, we have been on the warpath on is, uh, you know, uh, tearing down silos and basically, you know, holding hands, singing kumbaya, and actually trying to do good stuff across silos. And it's obvious, and people hear it, but it's sometimes very hard to do, particularly if you're in different locations. If those different locations have different cultural biases, as you say, and and different ways of uh, collaborating or not collaborating. Uh, And we in our area just have to be very proactive. And given the fact that we are customer service people and we're people people, we should have the skills that are needed in order to reach out to our brother uh, and sister organizations within our own enterprise and and figure out how to make those connections that are really going to make a difference. Easier said than done. But, you know, you touched on something very interesting, and I did a lot of reading on organizational design stuff in my doctoral work. I, I find it kind of fascinating about how organizations work. And we have both formal and informal communication mechanisms in organizations. You know, the formal ones are the, the organizational hierarchy where things go up the ladder and come down, you know, the formal decision-making processes. But there's also that informal communication style, and you touched on location. And when I was doing my research, I, I, I got the sense, I, I saw that physical proximity was an important thing. If the two groups were co-located, then they had informal communication mechanisms. You know, they'd meet in the parking lot, they'd meet in the cafeteria, they'd meet in the bathroom, (laughs) you know, somewhere. Mm -hmm. There'd be sort of that interaction. Maybe they're playing softball games together. And that would allow the groups to get to know each other and, uh, you know, credibility from uh, from the support side was critical. But just getting to know people makes you realize, hey, maybe they can offer something here. Uh, but when, in many cases, and the larger the company, the more likely that you have the groups uh, segregated. And I don't mean purposely segregated, but in different buildings or in different campuses in different states. It's really hard to develop informal communication mechanisms when the groups are not co-located. Right. I think that's right. And there is a tendency to uh, put contact centers in lower-cost areas uh, for a variety of reasons, and they are uh, dislocated. They're they're not close to the uh, you know centers of uh, thought and power, and sometimes that means that the thinking is very partial and doesn't take into account all of the wonderful things that you were just saying uh, can come out of the customer contact uh, sector center, and um, and for that you know uh, we talk about building a radial organization. In other words, being very proactive about um, reaching out, breaking down the barriers, and, and uh, trying to hold hands with other people, and coming up with um, things that you've talked about, which is you know uh, making phone calls to people, getting together with them, having the lunch with them. Uh, if your organization only gets together with other people in the uh, enterprise once a year, making sure that you uh, set up lunches, dinners, uh, ways of communicating ahead of time, 
And if there are no times during the year when that happens, then uh, setting up the Friday morning uh, five-minute telephone call or the uh, you know half-hour phone call or whatever it takes in order to uh, make sure that you stay in contact with people. And, and those synapses are, if that's the right word, uh, with the brain and the senses and all that are, are all you know put together. And so th- that also means that you're not going to be taken by surprise as much. Um, and um, good management is uh, the art of trying to get to a point where you don't have bad surprises. Uh, yes, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's great. And uh, now it sounds so logical, but I'm guessing since you've researched this, that integrating customer service into the product, for instance, the product engineering loop, which is an area you knew well, uh, doesn't happen as well as it should. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, it's just basically the organizational dynamics that we're talking about. Uh, there's always what seems so logical doesn't necessarily happen because of these, these silos, the siloing effect and building these giant barriers between the organizations. And some of it's financial. You know, some of the barriers to the integration, uh, there are many barriers. Cultural was a big one. Uh, and let, let's not kid ourselves. You know, engineers will say, well, I know how to build a product. I know what should be in the product. What can a support person, a service person tell me? Uh, and so there's a resistance to listening. And what, one of the fascinating things I learned, Bruce, and, and when I was doing my research and talking to different uh, uh, groups, and I, I, when I originally did some research years ago, I was looking at software support organizations, software companies. And there was one company where this was highly complex, mission-critical software that was so important that support engineers, and they were in support engineers, not technicians, they had to go to customer sites to fix the problem. So this is before the cloud and everything. They had to actually go on site. And you'd think that if these engineers were in the customer site, they'd be able to learn a lot of stuff that they could just see and informal conversations, formal conversations with the customers. Well, it's funny. They really didn't learn anything beyond conformance problems, bugs in the software, because the engineering organization, their product engineering organization, wasn't interested in, in any of that stuff. They were just, don't tell me. And uh, But another company that was desktop software, so support was delivered only by phone, uh-huh. those support engineers heard stuff that the by on the phone that the other guys that were in the customer site didn't hear. The difference was that in this uh, a phone-based tech support organization, they were chartered to listen. Uh-huh. So they act, so they were actively listening to things, whereas the other group, the, the engineers didn't bother to notice because they knew nobody would care. Uh-huh. And so that was a fast. That it was actually contrary to my what, my what my hypothesis was going to be. I assumed that hey, if you're going into the customer domain, you're going to learn a lot more about the customer. But it was right. uh, that wasn't true. The mitigating factor was whether or not they were chartered to listen. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, that I, is, yeah. Keep going. Anything else? Yeah, okay. that yeah. just blew, that just blew my mind when I recognized the effect that I saw. Right. No, that, that that's great stuff. And you know, as you were talking. I was thinking about something to try to bring this home to our listeners in terms of what they can actually take away from it, because there's so much in here. It can sort of uh, be mind-expanding, but also mind-blowing. So uh, one thing that I might suggest that people try to do is to draw a little brain, right? 
and uh, from that brain uh, have things, have little uh, arrows coming out from it for the different parts of their organization, for your organization, all of you listening to this, you know, what are the parts that should be connected by the brain uh, so that they're communicating with each other? And think about that. Who have you connected? Why have you connected them? Do you think that right now they're communicating well? And if they are, great, pat yourself on the back. And if they're not working as well as they could, then think about how you can actually uh, break down any barriers, uh, reach across lines, uh, make those phone calls, uh, you know, sing the kumbaya, <laughs> do whatever you can do, because that will actually also be an exercise in what I would call applying emotional intelligence to the whole um, organizational part of your, 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 your business. And if you can do that, then you're adding a lot of value. So I encourage you to do that. And the other thing is that many people today, in fact, we do a lot of talking about the customer experience journey mapping and how yep. by doing that you can find out where the holdups are and where the blockages are and where things aren't going through, et cetera, et cetera. I would say do that and also add on to that an informational journey mapping for your organization. If you do that, what I was just talking about with the, the brain and the arrows coming out and trying to just think about how it's all working for you, and then uh, arrange it for, so that it's tailored to your organization and uh, your people, your culture, then you'll also see where the blockages are there, where the uh, things are, are falling down in terms of internal information journey, uh, and uh, where you need to be unblocking things and opening them up. Do you think that would be a good thing for our folks to do? Well, yeah, that's basically saying what are the logical connections uh, and exactly what you're talking about. Look at the different functional groups in a company, mm -hmm. in the person's company, and there's going to be a lot of similarities across industries, but there will be nuances by industry. And say, where could these groups talking together add value to the overall enterprise? Exactly. And, and, and do that in a structured way. In other words, sit down and draw pictures and uh, figure out, you know, what's going where and what's not going where, where the holdups might be. Well, yeah. let me just ask, in, in places where it does occur, what types of information gets collected and communicated by customer service? What, what's your experience on that side? Yeah, obviously, you know, as I've been alluding to, depending on the nature of the product and the nature of the company, there are going to be differences, but trying to come up with general categories I find there were really three or maybe four. The first most basic one is about flaws in the product, conformance issues. When we're talking hardware or software, it's most obvious there. There's a you know software bug or the the, the hardware breaks. Uh, but even in other types of uh, other areas where we're talking about a service product, there can be you know something you call a conformance issue. It's not built right. So one the the big base one that the service organization is. Oh, I'm going to say almost always chartered to listen to is to find conformance flaws in the product and get those back to product engineering. In fact, I'm going to go on this little tangential aside here. My wife, who was a software engineering manager in, throughout her career, in one company she temporarily had a job to try to fix a problem that they had in managing the bug tracking system in the software company, and she was the liaison between product engineering and customer support. So in this delightful irony, my wife is actually involved in a role that I had been researching for 15 or more years at the time. 
uh, it, it was kind of weird, you know. You just don't expect that kind of thing to happen. She had mostly yeah. been on the soccer engineering side, but then she moved back into the conformance area. So number one is conformance flaws. That's big. Second one, though, is in almost any products, customers want to know, how do I do this? I'm trying to do something here. How do I do it? And those are traditionally called how-to questions. And I'll give you an example in, in something that isn't hardware or software. I was just trying to make a donation to my SEP IRA uh, on, in Fidelity. And I, I figured, hey, I've got to be able to do this online in my account. I couldn't. So I had to call up to have it done, and it actually turned out by design I can't do it online, which seems crazy to me. It's probably some federal law, but that was a how-to question. I was calling up the customer service to say, how do I make a donation without having to waste 49 cents on a stamp and write out an envelope? Uh, mm -hmm. So how-to mm -hmm. questions are really big. Uh, you know, if the customer can't figure out how to do it, how, how to hook something up on their TV, what, whatever it is, who do they call? They call customer support or, or you know, chat or email. When I say call, I mean uh, contact, I mean that generically. The third mm -hmm. area are feature requests. This is where the customer may be calling up with a how-to question, and the, uh, the service agent say, you know, you're trying to do that, but the product isn't designed to do that. Tell me about the business problem that you're trying to solve. And they may not use that exact language, but the customer is trying to do something with a product for which it's not designed, and that indicates a, that's likely to turn into a feature request. The customer mm -hmm. wants to do something with the product. Hey, maybe we should build this feature into the product because not only does this customer want to do it, but other people might want to do it too, and that might make the product more readily able to sell into that marketplace. So mm -hmm. feature requests are a big area, and frankly, now you're getting into the area where there's contention because the marketing people usually design product feature sets for the next version of a product, and this idea mm -hmm. that these upstarts from customer service are going to come in and start talking about it, that's where you know, we really have to work on the people skills to, and develop a collaborative setting uh, for that cross-functional integration so that the feature requests that support it here and will be listened to and taken uh, you know, the way they properly should. The fourth yeah. area that we could argue that there's information is information about the customer him or herself, customer company or the, or the customer as a person. And support people tend to learn things about customers that maybe even salespeople don't know, and that could be useful information for the company, especially for the salespeople going forward. So uh, those are the, the four areas that support can listen to, again, if they're chartered. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and so we're talking about, particularly there at the end, about product use issues primarily, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Primarily, uh, that's certainly it. And uh, but when I talk about this, you know, I'm talking about a product because most of the time our customer service organization is supporting product use, uh, mm -hmm. and that product could be tangible or intangible, or it could be a services area. So mm -hmm. it, it's not, you know, it, it sounds like oh, this guy's talking about hardware and software. No, service products are products. And they're designed mm -hmm. in some way, and support people have to address how customers are trying to use these service products. So, yeah. you know, we have to. One of the real challenges, and this is where you have to synthesize, is how do I take this concept 
in a hardware setting and apply it into a different setting. The words change, but the general framework probably remains the same. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And what are the challenges to call centers and customer service getting a voice? If we shift gears here for a second and say, okay, yeah. uh, you know, some of our listeners may be saying, you know, how do I get a voice? Uh, how do I uh, put into action the things that uh, Fred is talking about here? Boy, you know, this is the real challenge because this is a change management product, a project that is perhaps one of the most difficult change management projects because it's so cross-functional. You know, the support people can't make this happen by themselves. They have to get, they have to have willing partners in the other functional groups to work with them. You can't force this stuff on product management. So how do you create the draw? How do you kind of uh, hold this up and create a little tease effect and make you say, hey, you know, i got stuff here you might want. How do I make this happen? So there are lots of different factors that come into play here. Um, and the biggest one I'd argue is cultural, but let me hit a couple of others first. First, uh, you know, if senior management supports the idea, that's really, really helpful. If senior management has said, you know, we want to focus on the customer and who knows the customer better or, our, you know, our service agents obviously know a lot about the customer, that sort of greases the skids for creating cross-functional in- integration. So hopefully that senior management support is there at the beginning. If not, hopefully it comes as, as part of the learning process when the value is demonstrated. A second big one, is, frankly, is financial. We all know that customer service call centers are treated as cost centers. And the goal of any cost center is to do what you have to do at the lowest cost possible. And you were talking about that a little bit a moment ago. Where do we put them? We put them in, low, in, in areas that are lower cost areas to, to put the contact center. Uh, but you've got to have some budget for this. I mean, I've worked with uh, service organizations where they had to kind of cut and squeeze and steal to get a quarter of an FTE or a half an FTE to do some of the basic information compiling to try to sell the value to the product engineering side. I mean, do you have people sitting around with nothing to do and pick, take on this call, this uh, change management project? Uh, I, I doubt it. So the financial barriers really create a problem. You know, can we sell the, fine, the bean counters that, uh, you know, we need a half an FTE here uh, to work some of these issues. Um, the cultural ones, though, I think are the biggest ones, and we've talked about this a fair amount already. Uh, you know, product, product management, product engineering typically view customer service as just talking to customers who complain. And they say, you know, wh- why would I want complaining customers to provide the basis for uh, the next version release of a product? So there, there are some real cultural barriers here, uh, and it's simply not easy to break down. And, you know, we talked about the idea of co-location and whatnot. Another big factor I found that helped was having cross-functional career paths. Could, when the service people finally burned out doing customer service, where did they go after, you know, three to five years? Did they move into other uh, other jobs within the company where they could bring knowledge about the value of the customer service organization into that other group. So I like to talk. I like to talk about the idea of seeding the company with alumni from customer mm-hmm. service. 
Uh, and there are some companies that do that amazingly well. Uh, the best one, um, God, I'm blanking on the name right now. Wouldn't you know it? I'm, I'm winging it on the side here because uh, it's a company in my area, and I'm going to be mad as hell. It's a software, a software company that makes high-level uh, engineering, uh, high-level software products for uh, chemists and whatnot, and they have an explicit program to take to hire. They hire uh, support people that are really skilled because they're talking to scientists. But the goal is to turn them out, to churn them in roughly three years and move them into other parts of the company. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. and that's and I've never seen any company that does that quite well. But that means that the whole company has not the whole company, but in any functional group, there could be 25 to 50 percent of the employees in marketing or product engineering that started in the company in customer support. Yeah, and that's a huge way of breaking down the uh, barrier, uh, eliminating the silo problem, because if they're your alums and when they leave you, you treat them like alums. You say, you know, good luck to you. You're you're, you're one of us. You started with us. You'll always be one of us. Uh, And, you know, stay in contact. Let us know when you see something that's going on that may have an impact on us. Uh, that's great. Uh, that's a, a fabulous point, a very, very good point. And, and, and the other one that you're talking about, go ahead. And you want to hear a weird little benefit to the service organization as a result of that? You develop sure. flex, You develop flexibility. So, again, mm-hmm. you know, I said I, I do a lot of work with software companies. And wh- when does the, the, soft, the service organization, the software company, have the biggest demand? Right after the release of a product. Obviously, mm. that's when that's when uh, you know the new issues bubble up. Well, that's when you need to expand your manpower. How can you expand your manpower? Well, can you draw on these alumni, support alumni who are now working in other parts of the company? And mm-hmm. you know, can you get them for a one-month stint to come back in and answer phones? Uh, right. You know, that's a tremendous benefit to companies. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. We're no, a that's of a fabulous uh, part of flexibility, and we've talked about that in, in other uh, call center uh, call talk episodes. But uh, I'm glad that you brought that in, Fred. And the other thing is, uh, you were talking about the financial part before, and being able to um, figure out what financial impacts are can have a huge impact on your success in talking to the higher ups and the bean counters, because in many cases, people in call centers who tend to be right brain don't think in terms of what the left brain folks are doing and what the uh, financial impacts are. If they do, then they'll find out that uh, not only can they get what they want, but oftentimes they'll uh, get people coming back and asking them if they need more, because if they can show a good ROI on investments that are made, then you know they'll become heroes instead of pariahs. And uh, so that uh, you know, reaching out has to also start with our own brains. We have to reach out for information, ask those extra questions that will actually allow a, um, uh, a, a, a mathematical formula to be created that says, you know, if I do this or I do that uh, and we change this way, we change that way, then our processes will become more effective, our people will become, uh, you know, more efficient, and we'll be able to do things better. Yeah, and, you know, playing into that, this whole idea that for the support to get uh, the customer service organization to get a voice into the company, the very first thing they have to do is deliver value. They, have, they can't right. just push their way in. They have to show something. Uh, and this could be, you know, saying, let's, let's, let's take some data for a month. 
and look at uh-huh. it and say, what kind of things can we now show to the product side of the company that here are problems that we have heard about that you don't know about. Uh-huh. We can fix these. And by the way, if we fix these things, our call volumes are going to go down, and that's going to right. save the company money. So yep. part of yep. the way of developing a voice in the rest of the company and becoming an equal player or a more equal player is attack the cost factors. If you can reduce cost, you're a hero. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. And so, and, so, and so much of it is about developing that credibility. Right. Okay, well, the, the half hour has uh, flown by, but I want to get one question in, so I'm going to hand it over okay. to Alan, who has a question for you. Yes, we have one question from James. I'm in the financial services insurance sector and working on initiatives for customer service. How does this apply to me? Um, well, that's, that's, you know, clearly, and we talked about this a little bit, uh, that regardless of the type of product, whether hardware, software, intangible products such as a service product like financial or um, financial services or insurance services, there is still a product that has been designed in some fashion. Uh, and the service organization can still hear problems and feed them over. And I would argue this is becoming even more critical in the age of customer success. That's a new buzzword we're hearing in the last five years or so where we talk about customer success being critical to uh, keeping customers long-term, especially when we start talking about cloud computing right now, it's very easy for customers to pick up and move away, uh, move to another vendor. So uh, arguably capturing feedback about problems with the product uh, is becoming even more critical in the age of customer success-driven organizations. Do we have any other questions? I just sort of heard sort of quiet time there. Okay. Yeah, no, I think uh, we're uh, at the end of our our time here, unfortunately. But uh, (laughs) a great, great question. Uh, James, thank you very much, and great answer, Fred. And uh, now I'll uh, just ask you if you have any wrap-up questions uh, or wrap-up comments, Fred, and then hand it over to Alan. But thank you very much. Uh, It's been uh, very enlightening. I think uh, everyone in the audience has something they can bring back and actually do something with. And so uh, thanks for uh, your trifecta for coming on the third time. All right. Well, we'll have to go for a quadfecta. What would four be? I don't know. We'll come up with something else. But, you know, this is an area I've been working in for 20 years and a couple, uh, many, actually more than that. A colleague and I, we we did write a research report on what we call design for supportability, which arguably today we we should have called it design for customer experience. And the first chapter of it is something we do make available to people on a complimentary basis, and they can request that off of my website, um, greatbirth.com, or we can get requests through you as well, I'm sure. Okay, very good. Thanks very much, Fred. And over to Alan then to wrap things up. Yeah, thanks again to Dr. Fred Benicon and Bruce Belfiore for your insightful discussion on today's show. Be sure to join us next month for another great show or look at our huge selection of archive shows and topics at benchmarkportals.com. 
Then click on Call Talk, where you'll find over eight seasons of this show. From all of us here at Benchmark Portal, keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. This is Alan Pockrider signing out. Have a great day.